Welcome to the next podcast for Millinery Info. This episode is a little different. So the introduction to this episode will come shortly, but I wanted to start by thanking our amazing podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Be Unique Millinery, Hatters Millinery Supplies, the Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, Hats by Lego, Lifted Millinery, Hat Mags, and Hat Language. Thank you to these sponsors for making this episode possible. You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes, either through your podcast app or on our website. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast series, I'd love to invite you to show your support through becoming a Patreon. There are two tiers available, a podcast sponsor or a supporter. You can find out more or sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash millineryinfo. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, well, today's guest is no stranger and a regular voice here at the Millinery Info. Uh, my voice, however, is new. My name is Lisa Watt and I have the great uh, pleasure of interviewing the content creator of Millinery Info. She's also one half of the Two Sewing Sisters, contributor to the Hat Magazine, president of the Millinery Association of Australia and a milliner under her own label. We are chatting to none other than the talented Lauren Ritchie. Welcome, Lauren. Oh, this is strange in reverse. <laughs> Very excited to be here. <laughs> well, I am delighted to be uh, part of this podcast. Um, so thank you very much for the opportunity. I think it's been a long time coming. We've all wanted to hear what Lauren Ritchie wants to say on the other side. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, let's start um, by asking you about your creative journey. Where did it all begin? Where did it all begin? Um, probably in Nan's sewing room. Oh, or not probably, actually in Nan's sewing room. Yeah. Nan had this amazing space that she sewed for the family. Um, and when my sister and I were little, we would spend one day with her and one day with Grandma and go to daycare while Mum was Mum and Dad were working. Beautiful. So we would help Nan cut out patterns and sew and just we became familiar with dressmaking and textiles really is what it provided us in hindsight. How old would you be at that time? We could have been three or four. Oh amazing. So little. Um, So it's always been around us and Nan used to make us uh, a new dress for our birthdays and we had Christmas dresses so there was always dressmaking or fashion around us and mum would have nan would make mum suits to wear to work so there was always fashion around us growing up did she teach herself or was it a trade that she um, worked in she never worked in the trade she she did do via correspondence tafe um but she never had completed the formal training so she never felt like her skills were of a standard but she was exceptional she made um mum's wedding dress the dead dresses for all my aunts so she was amazing um and she would she would take on anything she when we were six and three so I'm the eldest she made these beautiful smocked dresses because she always wanted to learn how to smock yeah um and then from there I did textiles through school had an amazing textile teacher in Gail O'Keefe at Wangaratta High School and mum and dad were always encouraging of us to be creative um school studies were important and to do well there but also to have an outlet um through our sewing 
Um, and then I finished BCE at Wangaratta and moved to Melbourne and went to RMIT University and did oh, a fantastic. Bachelor of Fashion Design. Yeah, it was an amazing opportunity to be involved in that. Um, and when I was, we came down to open days and I looked at a few different universities and I went to the open day for Kangen Institute and wow, was looking at different options. I did consider their course, but um, a couple of weeks after that open day, Dad at that time was working at Wangaratta TAFE um, as the go-between between the high school and TAFE for the vet program and he came across a short course in millinery a short course short course it was a one one weekend up in Aubrey at Aubrey oh, Tape wonderful yes with uh, Elizabeth Hemsley was the tutor wonderful and there's a little community of milliners up on the border isn't there yes yeah. there is yeah. and it was around the time as well that was an era when um Wogga was running huge conventions yes yeah. so there was a great atmosphere around that yeah and Erin and I went and we made a I'm going to call it a fascinator because that's, yeah. that's what it was. <laughs> and then um, a couple of weeks later, we, there was a how to make a hat course. So it was a cinema hat um, and we both went and fell in love. <laughs> from the beginning. Hooked from the beginning. So then when I moved down to Melbourne six months later, I enrolled in the millinery course at Kangen. Fantastic. That might lead me on to my next question. <laughs> I first met you in the workroom of Louise McDonald uh, in her gorgeous studio in the Nicholas Building. Now, if you don't know the Nicholas Building, look it up. It's full of wonderful, wonderful makers. Um, tell us about your time with Louise. So I first met Louise uh, through work experience yeah. as part of the certificate to uh, Paris Kine was teaching and Serena Lindemann were teaching it. Um, you had to do work experience. That was part of the yeah. unit requirements then. Um, and I had moved to Melbourne, I was 18 and I knew that I loved making and that I was doing millinery course, but I didn't know much about the industry at that stage. And I said to Paris, I do you have a recommendation. And he goes, I think you and Louise would get along. <laughs> um, and that's just such a oh, piece of fate really, because yeah. I went for work experience with Louise and we'll never left. <laughs> And so she, I did my, I think it was two weeks, I can't remember, um, and then she invited me back to join her for the season. Well, I was lucky enough to see the partnership that you two had. Um, I also did work experience in my first year. And, well, not only were you this gorgeous little angel that sat on my shoulder and told me how to stitch correctly, <laughs> but um, when clients came in, the partnership in servicing that client was just a joy to watch. And it, it, you can't. You can't make that sort of magic happen. It was you taught me a lot in that in that moment just um, to consult, and it was a really special experience for me. Um, she's a wonderful lady. Um, well, how long were you with Louise? I think we did. Oh, well, we counted in seasons, okay. and particularly <laughs> spring carnival seasons, to be specific. Um, for for <laughs> Melbourne Spring Racing, so um, we did seven seasons together. Wow. That is an amazing time. Yeah, it was. Wow, gosh, um, I should only imagine the, the parting, even though they're still very well connected. <laughs> yes. It was really tough. Um, having worked with Louise for so long, how do you actually approach your own creative aesthetic now? I think it's definitely taken time. Yeah. Um, and I think it will always be an influence on how I make and what I make. Yeah. Um, and I think, and as you spoke, like Louise and I, 
it's an it's an amazing partnership yeah. and I'm so fortunate to have been able to spend so much time working with her and mm. for her and learning so much from her. Um, it's always going to impact how I make. Yeah. Um, and naturally I think our aesthetics are similar-ish. Um, so that's, it probably comes through in my work and it takes some, someone once said to me, you're never, you've just got to make through it. Yeah. You're going to look at every hat you make and see Lois's hat. <laughs> and I still do a little bit, but um, if I don't make through it, I'm never going to make. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for all the skills I learned from her. And I do, when I'm making, look at it and go, is this too much or is it shifted enough and how can I evolve what I know and what I've learnt to be my own? Well, I, I think if Louise was here today, she'd say you've definitely found your own style. Um, you've got some beautiful work that you, of course, share through your social channels that I get to see and, um, yeah, I think you've got your beautiful own natural um, stamp there. Um, one question I do want to ask is... Um, what period influences your millinery and garment construction? Is there a is there a decade that works for you? I am drawn to the forties. I have yeah. to say, um, I think it's a really also socially in terms of fashion history a really interesting time, um, a time where rations were so impactful, but there was also still a priority of personal presentation and branding. It's glorious. Yeah. And um, I just have images of my nan and granddad during that time mm. and the how proud they were of how they presented themselves. Mm. And I think um, it's taking that influence but finding how to transform it into a modern way. So it has those elements but isn't necessarily vintage yeah. is what I'm aiming for at the moment. Would, um, would your time in your grandmother's um, sewing room be a little bit of an influence there as well. I think absolutely. <laughs> and she has this, um, she had an amazing collection of sewing patterns. Yeah. So there aren't many from the earlier times of her sewing because they moved around through um, their different businesses and work that they did. Some got lost along the way. But when they were more settled, um, when we were little, there was still like, original patterns from some of the, some 60s, some oh, 70s, um, and a little bit of history in that as well. Oh, absolutely. And I imagine some of the garment construction skills transfer really comfortably for you into your millinery making. Absolutely. I think it provides a, an understanding of materials and how yeah. you can manipulate them and how to approach materials differently, not just what might be before you, but how to explore other ones as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, there's endless opportunities, isn't there? Well, let's touch on millinery info, if we may. Um, <laughs> it's fast becoming a significant contributor and support to the global millinery community. How did it all begin? Well, I can't take credit for its beginning, I have to say. Um, millinery info was... Uh, the brainchild of Louise McDonald and her partner Reed Hutchinson, um, and they wanted to create a platform that was global to share millinery knowledge and information online. Um, and it was founded. I'm not sure of the exact year, but it was very early, a very early founder of online millinery content. Um, and when I had the chance to travel overseas in two thousand and 
13 or 14 with mm. my family. Um, I was really interested to be able to meet other milliners yeah. and to see their studios and um, be able to talk with suppliers and with offered the opportunity to interview on behalf of Millinery Info and create content. How wonderful. So that was amazing. And that trip I did, um, my process was I spoke to someone and I'd recorded it and then I was writing it. Um, But I did that a couple of times and then what happened was Louise and I were working in the studio and we were listening to podcasts. And I... We were listening to murder mystery podcasts or something. <laughs> and I I would listen, started listening to a few, and this is when podcasting was taking off. And I was like, well, why? Well, I'm, I'm already recording it. Why aren't I just using the recording? <laughs> and there's so many, <laughs> sounds silly now, um, there's so many amazing print publications yeah. for Melanie, the Hat Magazine, yeah. Hat Lines, Hat Talk. Um, we work with our hands and we have the capacity, if we're not maybe in the depths of design, to be listening to something. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love the idea of the podcast is joining people in their work studios and joining them in their making process. Well, having spoken to a few milliners, I know that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, well, I'm honoured to be there with them. Yeah. Well, myself, uh, I think there's um, uh, one of your podcasts stitched into nearly every one of my hats. So... Um, I just wanted to then touch on your time in London. Now, you um, did do a recent trip, I think. Yeah. Yes. What took you there? Um, initially, uh, it was end of 2018 um, and Louise was shifting what she was doing with her business. So um, the main piece of work I was doing with her wasn't there as much. Mm-hmm. So... Um, after seven seasons, <laughs> um, I saw it as a great opportunity to be able to go overseas. Amazing. And did it open up some opportunities for you? Absolutely did. So when I was there, I had the opportunity to work in a few different workrooms. I worked with Jane Taylor and Edwina oh, Ibbotson. My goodness. And getting to see how um, their businesses worked and learn from them. And also when I was there, I got to go to some events that, from this side of the globe, I had, or Melbourne, sorry, had only seen or heard about. Um, And it was at London Craft Week at an exhibition that was hosted by Rachel Trevor Morgan, Noel Stewart and Edwina, but they'd invited uh, some of the best of the British milliners to come together to showcase pieces. Wow. And Ellie was there, Ellie Stemadink from Hat Mags. Yes, quite right. Um, And we, Ellie and I had met... Uh, the year before at Hats Off to Adelaide, um, I was there as secretary of the Millinery Association at the time and had volunteered to go over and assist for the week and Ellie had just taken over the Hat Magazine at that time so was um, making an amazing effort to network and meet all of the industry members. She's a champion, isn't she? She absolutely is. And so Ellie was there at this Craft Week, London Craft Week exhibition and... We said hi and she said, oh, it's fantastic to see you. Um, and we got talking and she said, well, would you would you be interested in contributing for the hat magazine or hat lines? <laughs> did um, you have to think about this? Did I have to think about it? No. <laughs> no, I did not. Not very hard at all. Um, so Ellie is based in the Netherlands and yeah. the hat magazine is um, originally a British publication um, and she also uh, is 
the publisher of Hatlines magazine. So it was amazing to be able to travel to her in the Netherlands and meet some Dutch milliners. Remarkable. Um, And we went to some trade shows together, got to go to um, two of the main Premier Vision and Premier Class in Paris and experiences that it's just not possible here. Yeah. Um, Is it the distance or the um, industry? The industry is different. Um, and the access to huge trade shows like oh, that. Of course. Yes. Um, and their approach to production is different to what I had known from the millinery industry yeah. here. Um, and on that getting to go and see more of the production scale things through visiting Luton and meeting um, the block makers yeah, and going to Boone and Lane. Favourite podcast, yeah. Um, so that was an amazing experience to see yeah. how the industry that I was so familiar with in Australia, how that translated in a different way overseas. Yeah, quite remarkable really. I think it's a testament to the fact that if you're prepared to take um, opportunities, you never know where they may lead. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, something we should all take note of. Um, now I have another question here. How have you seen the industry evolve in your time? millinery? Um, I think at the moment coming out of the global, well fortunately in Australia coming out of it feels like at this time anyway, um, coming out of the global pandemic we're at a pivot. Yes. We're at a um, transitional time um, and I think it will be interesting to see what the future looks like and I'm not sure that anyone at this stage knows what that will be. I think there's a lot of amazing makers um, and I mean, I'm speaking more specifically to the Australian industry on this. Amazing makers that are keen to be part of what the future looks like and finding how they fit in and creating a diversity in the industry um, where very, um, generally speaking, race we're focused in what we make. Yeah. Um, and that's an amazing market to be a part of. And there's so much creativity and showcase um, that's in that. But also I think there's a lot of discussion going on about diversification um, and how we can be involved more so in the fashion aspects of what's happening around us as well and embedding that in a way that's uh, seen by the consumer in a really positive way. And they're going to, people who are interested will buy hats either through necessity of need um, or through the zeitgeist, yeah. that it's part of a trend yeah. and part of their personal style. Yeah. Um, it almost, uh, a hat does make you stand taller. And I feel like it wraps up to your point about the um, the mindset of a 40s dressing, um, mm. to be proud. Um, we're making perhaps smarter choices in our consumptions and um, it does feel like a make, you know, true makers are being considered as part of that. And I think the millinery industry makers are very considerate of the materials they're using and how they're constructing. Um, There's a lot of hands-on work that's done and it's done locally. So the awareness around Australian made or locally made I think is very prominent in our industry Mm. Um, and it's filled with creatives that are aware of the product they're producing. Absolutely. This this question is a little bit um, off quite off topic but it is it touches on the fashions on the field as the race where that you that you spoke of. 
It is a really important forum, certainly here Absolutely. in Australia, for millionaires to have the opportunity to really um, show their work on a global um, platform. Yes. Uh, one of the questions um, that I'd like to ask is, as a photographer, um, at, um, often at Fashions on the Field on behalf of the Hat Magazine, you've seen many styles and outfits. Are you able to share what you think works for photography purposes and on-stage presence? Um, well, I think, oh, firstly, if I can, I think Fashions on the Field, um, it's kind of uh, uniquely an Australian thing as well. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't experienced it before or seen it, <laughs> Fashions on the Field is kind of a best dressed. It's yeah. the chance for people to showcase uh, their racewear outfits, trackside, um, and usually uh, it's a... a has been a stage that people show walk and to parade their outfits and there's a panel of judges that are um, a variety of stylists, fashion designers, accessory buyers, industry members um, that are picking what is the most interesting style of the day. Um, and having seen a few of them, um, quite a few, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think what's important, I mean, from a photography perspective, is um, there are variables that you cannot control in those scenarios. Um, the venues change year to year. It can't be guaranteed that what the stage or the platform looks like last year, it's going to look like that again. Yeah, very true. Um, and so I think the key <laughs> is to control the variables you can and to feel confident in how they're how you're presenting yourself, um, I think that in terms of content for milliners, out of that, um, back to that, control what you can. If the backdrop's not working for your piece, if you've got someone on stage and you've designed what's an amazing intricate hat, but the background is busy, mm. it's going to be lost, unfortunately. So. I would say if you acknowledge that you can identify that that's what's happening, that that's quite a challenge, take take them out of that environment and find the background and the location that works best to show, showcase your piece. Yeah. Um, light is so important in that, keeping, showing it in the best way that you can. Um, oh, I think that's sound advice really for everything. I, I, what I'm taking out of that is, you're saying control what you can. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because there's so much that you, you can't, but yeah. um, getting to share, I guess, the key thing out of what we're aiming for with photography is imagery and showcasing your brand. Yeah. So um, you're the one that knows your aesthetic and what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. So take the time to ensure that you're doing it in the right way. And if it means that you need to trek across the grass to the pink backdrop... <laughs> We've or, never done none of us have ever done that. Um, or that, you know, you've got um, my amazing sister models for me sometimes and uh, two years no, ago now, Aaron. yes, Erin, um, I made uh, for the millinery ward a red chill hat. Oh, the amazing red chill <laughs> The red amazing red chill hat. Look it up if you've not seen it. And she stood in the members section of uh, the new stand against yeah. this amazing um it was a wooden wall slats yeah. and she stood there and everyone's like you know she's pulling these amazing poses she's got a bag up to her mouth she's yeah. doing all of this stuff and people are just walking past kind of watching what's happening but that was those images 
that we were able to produce there showed a different presentation of that outfit and there against there were some we did against a pink wall but I think that the wooden wall really made that outfit different from everything else we presented that week so I'm taking out of this um don't be scared to do a little bit of experimenting yeah stay true to yourself yeah yeah and take the time to do it right because you'll regret not going back to get that seventh image (laughs) but um you won't regret taking an extra six or the fact that someone i don't know held your shoes up while you tracked across (laughs) the grass or something whatever it is but yeah take the time anything for the shot (laughs) well the particular um shoot that you're talking about um that was used uh quite extensively um promoting the vrc i believe and i i saw it pop up quite a few times it is Fast becoming an iconic image. Thank so, you. Well, yeah, Richard, congratulations. Thank you. Richard Shaw took that image that was used yeah. in that campaign. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a huge support to the millinery industry here in Australia. Um, now, let me have a look at my little questions here. Um, okay. So, the next one I have Have you seen any correlation between the milliners you've interviewed? And their professional backgrounds before entering into millinery. Do you think that their background has influenced how they create? Uh, the short answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, extended answer is um, I get to meet so many amazing makers and milliners yeah. through Millinery Info and Hatlines and Hat Magazine. It must be incredible to walk into their studios. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And some things that I think I've seen. Uh, commonalities um, is their knowledge of textile, their knowledge of materials right. and how they work with those materials and know when they can push it, how to experiment it and when that they're pushing it too far that it's no longer working. Yeah. Um, I also think their approach to their making is uh, systematic, a bit clinical, but they understand their... Um, their aesthetic, their brand, yeah. but they're also conscious that they're there as a business. Yes, yeah, that's the key word, isn't it? It's a yeah. business yeah. and um, ultimately <laughs> uh, if it's a business, it has to make money to be able yeah. to continue. Um, so I think there's a lot of brand philosophy awareness that needs to exist for that to be successful. What you're willing to uh, compromise on where you're willing to give and where you're going to stay strong and steadfast. Yeah, it's a very, um, uh, well, it's an important topic, isn't it, that we need to certainly consider um, that it is, um, yes, it's about the magic of the making, but it's also about the commercial reality as well. Um, And if I can just... Yes, (laughs) And I think when I say, because I I had heard that response, I'd want to know what I meant a little bit more. That's quite right. I mean that in terms of your business sense as to what you're willing to say yes to. For example, if a stylist or someone's borrowing a hat or when it comes back to you damaged or that, but also in how you're constructing a hat as well. Um, What takes time, what you're wanting to, I guess the simplest example is what you're willing to machine stitch and hand stitch because that's time and that's um, your quality of finish is important um, and knowing what where you can save time yeah. or where you need to be investing the time. That's the important decisions. Yeah. And not every piece um, is can be hand-stitched in every way for some people. 
Um, other pieces, it might be done by machine and that's okay, but that's a decision I think the milliner needs to make consciously and be aware of the impact either way. Do you think um, this is um, just a random thought? Do you think it's um, the milliners ourselves that might be hard on ourselves making that judgment rather than the consumer? Absolutely, I do. I think um, I think that uh, well, the consumers I've had experience with they appreciate the quality yes. and they understand when it's pointed or articulated or pointed out to them or articulated. But I'm not necessarily sure they always know what to look for, and that's that's actually okay. Yeah. I think that's um, I think that's part of the job as uh, the. Uh, the milliner or the salesperson to be able to communicate this is why this piece is more expensive because the finishes are done in this way. Maybe it doesn't need to be articulated for a lower cost piece. Sometimes that might just be that's their price point and that's okay. Mm. They're still buying a piece. (laughs) Um, But when it is at a higher price point, I think it's about education and understanding this is a handmade flower that has been hand dyed and, and this is a hand block base and yeah. the finishing has been done by hand or machine, and that's yeah. okay as well. So I think it's um, – I and I guess the tough thing between milliners is that we showcase our pieces to each other through competition. Yeah. And it does depend on the criteria of the competition as to what's most important. And frequently it is about quality, and sometimes quality is seen as – hand finishing yeah, labor and intensive yeah i'm not i'm not i don't necessarily think that that's always the correct way to be approaching every piece that you make yeah no that's that's sound advice so on that point i'm going to ask you for some advice you often in your podcast ask millers to share advice or any words of wisdom what do you want to offer our listeners oh um no pressure <laughs> no pressure <laughs> um i think the, oh, I was going to say the main thing. There is no main thing. It's all the things. Um, I think in terms of uh, people who are yeah, newer to the industry or coming up with their brand um, is to uh, take the time to have a diversity of skills. Yeah. Learn from as many different people as you can yeah. because um, – like with a lot of things uh, in millinery, there's more than one way to do things. And um, if you only know one way of doing something, your problem solving when it goes wrong is not going yes. to be as strong. And you need to sometimes to be able to make a quick decision about how to move forward with something. Yeah. Um, so learning from different people and having different ways of solving things I think is important. Um, I also think valuing your skill what you do, making oh, a hat, yes. is now, amazing. <laughs> I have heard you say this before and I did take note. Absolutely. And, yeah, understand your value. Where uh, most of the time we are producing a luxury accessory. Yeah. Um, and it should be treated so. So I think knowing what you've put in to make that piece, time-wise material, but also what it's taken you to promote that piece. Quite right. You post on social media, you've published it on your website, you've had someone maybe send you an inquiry message. That's all time. Yeah. That is all time that's either uh, taken away from something else yeah. or you're making time. And if you're only counting your making time as cost time, that's probably not an accurate representation of what it's actually cost you yes. 
to make and sell that piece. Remarkable answer, Lauren. Thank you, because um, only the other day, uh, as I was packing a parcel up, I thought, oh, I'm also the dispatch department. You are the dispatch department (laughs) and you've sourced the box and the tissue paper and the sticky tape and you've made a decision about what labels you're using and you've printed the label and you've had to get the address from the customer and now you also have to take it to the post office and you're probably going to track it afterwards and then follow up with your customer. Absolutely, yes. Customer service (laughs) all the way. Um, It's so true, but um, it's a fun ride, isn't it? It's amazing. So I think that um, ensuring uh, longevity is important in all of that as well. So set yourself up in a way that you can be comfortable to sustain what you're doing. Yeah, wonderful. So where do you see the future of millinery and bespoke makers? Great question. Yeah, it's a tough <laughs> one, isn't it? It's a, it's a big question. Yeah, it um, is a big one. So in terms of the future of millinery, I think we're at a pivot point, like I said before, Um, locally in Australia, globally um, as a market. And I think that um, the key moving forward will be diversity. Yeah. And diversity in terms of uh, style, in terms of opportunity for people to be wearing hats and headpieces too in terms of events, Um, diversity in price point as well, Um, investing in all areas of the market and providing an opportunity for Everyone. How did you become so wise, so young? <laughs> Amazing mentors. <laughs> uh, that really has a ring of truth about it, absolutely. Um, so thank you very much for sharing that, uh, the point on diversity. Um, yeah, I think that certainly speaks to me. So our next question, Lauren, uh, congratulations, by the way, on becoming the president of the Millinery Association of Australia. Thank you. Um, it's already starting off to be a, a great year. Um, we are certainly fortunate here in Australia that COVID is starting to um, give us a little bit of a reprieve. Absolutely. Yeah. What are your aspirations and goals for the year ahead for the association? I think it's an amazing network yeah. and I'm so proud to be a part of it. Um, I joined the association in 2014 as a member mm-hmm. and became interested in being on the committee and joined the committee as an ordinary committee member and then was in the role of secretary for two years. Yeah, that's a hard role. It's a, it's a big role. Yeah. It's a big role and I'm... Keep using the word proud. I'm proud of what we achieved achieved in that time. Um, It's an absolute credit to the committee, every committee member that came before and is yet to come as to where the association is and the um, amazing network of members that are involved in it. Um, As time as secretary, I got to work with some incredible committee members, um, uh, Philip Rhodes as president and Rose Hudson as president oh, amazing. were amazing leaders. Yeah. Also, Brenda Wilson was president for a time as well. And seeing their approach, I think, definitely taught me a lot about what I would like to do if I was ever in the role and yeah. how I would like to approach it. Yeah. Um, so this year, <laughs> this year has uh, been great to be able to come back to be involved after being away and spending time overseas. Yeah. Um, the committee team is amazing. Uh, such a 
diverse range of skill and knowledge and what they would like to contribute to the industry. Yeah. It's hard to um, sometimes uh, we'll forget that you know, these are volunteers. Yes. And what they bring is such a high level of expertise. Yes. Uh, not to mention the passion that we see. Um, it certainly was a huge goal of mine to become a, a member and I am in awe. One comment that um, I can make about the uh, my time getting to know the millinery industry is that I feel like I've found my people. I'm I'm blown away with the support. It is. It's incredible. And uh, I think that it is an amazing thing to be a part of the mm. community. And we can, I keep coming back to it, but the network, the opportunity yeah. to speak to your fellow industry members yeah. is something that is a wonderful opportunity and the depth of knowledge that you get to see and share from them yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Um, well, I think what's exciting about this year is um, last year the um, possum, as when she was in the role of president and the committee that worked with her, did a great job of continuing that community online. Yes. There was a transition to the virtual events through um, the cocktail competition and quizzes and stitching chats and keeping that connection. Um, this year, we're so fortunate through no hard work of lockdown um, <laughs> to be able to be bringing those events back in person again where possible. Yeah, um, it's wonderful. Uh, would you say... Um, for people that are not in Australia, it's uh, a long way to travel from Melbourne to Queensland. Yes, yes it is. And to Western Australia. So do you feel that um, it's helped keep the states connected, states and territories connected? Yes, yeah. because ultimately we are um, a national organisation. Yeah. It's not-for-profit run by a volunteer committee. So um, there are challenges in terms of being able to keep everyone connected, I think, um, there was always, there has for the last few years been uh, a willingness to engage online through um, email MailChimp and through Zoom meetings, but last year really cemented everyone's confidence that that was um, a way that we could remain national yeah. and all benefit from being part of the association. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. Um, well, rather serious question now. <laughs> With the decline in numbers for institutions teaching the trade, do you have any concerns for the future? I think that it's very interesting to see how this is shifting. I am a student of Kenyon Batman Institute for Millinery um, and I know many milliners around me are as well. Um, it's an amazing training program. Um, it would be wonderful that it be able to continue. It's the last one left nationally. Um, the um, There are other lower-level certificates or uh, certificate two and three still available some, in some places, yeah. including Adelaide, um, and a little bit of training formally through the TAFE in Brisbane. Um, and when you previewed this question to me. I was thinking about this a lot mm. and I think um, it's interesting the history of TAFE and how that training has evolved and how that interacts with millinery. Um, 
traditionally millinery is a workroom trained yeah, trade. Quite right. Um, but I think TAFE has played such a key role yeah. in de- recent decades as to the training programs. Um, also, we're seeing a transition into a lot of online courses by very yeah. skilled tutors. So yeah. I think it's important that um, we re- we continue to have an expectation of high skill level and then this can come in many ways. It, uh, it's an interesting point you make. It feels like it's almost cyclical, um, that it did start off as a worker in trade, mm. almost as an apprenticeship, and then it went to formal training. And now it feels like um, if we are going to lose our TAFE support, that it can go back in to be um, a trade that's learned in a workroom. And I think for that to be successful, which I hope it is, it involves the investment of established and the highly skilled, long-standing members of the industry to invest in the future, to be mentoring and to be guiding and to be offering opportunities for upcoming milliners and workroom members of the workroom to have that opportunity to learn those skills. Yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge out of the training programs that occur that not everyone who graduates from a course should or will go on to launch their own brand and that there is a need and should be a place for very skilled technicians that work in workrooms, um, hands that make pieces of very high standard um, to a design specification and that's a skill unto itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the... You're conjuring up thoughts of the um, the fashion houses of Paris <laughs> with all those incredible makers. Um, it is it's an incredible skill to have, and you're right. Not everyone needs to to launch a label. No, and that's also um, there are so many ways which you can be part of the millinery industry, be a designer mm. or maker or technician. It's all such a vital piece of how the industry works together and continues to exist. I am absolutely delighted I am doing this podcast because you are (laughs) opening my mind up to so many things. We can sometimes not realise that we're just channelling or going down a path that, um, you know, there's other opportunities. You're quite remarkable. Thank you. I've got one more question for you, and that is up-and-coming projects for you. What's on the the cards? Many projects. (laughs) Um, A key project uh, for my own brand I'm looking forward to is um, working on my next collection. Um, Sneak peek? Sneak peek. (laughs) Maybe. Might be some light involved. (laughs) Um, I um, am looking forward to being able to, um, as we spoke before, I'm, you know, my aesthetic, as with everyone's, is constantly evolving and I've got some ideas about um, how to make a different range of hats that yeah. I haven't made before oh, um, right. and how I can form some new connections with other brands and partnerships. Yeah, and that sounds exciting. Keep keep moving forward with my brands. I'm excited for that one. Well, if, <laughs> if what you've just told us is any indication, um, you've got a knack of happening, uh, making doors open. So I think everyone watch this space. Um, I'm looking forward to um, our, um, Ellie being based in the Netherlands. Yeah. We 
um, at, I would love to visit him. Yeah, <laughs> We've got a, um, and I would love to have him to go to Hat Day and um, there's trade shows that I would love to get to visit so we can work on the trend reports. But at the moment, my focus for Hat Magazine is um, local and working with um, being able to continue to showcase our Australian industry. Um, and when I can travel, <laughs> yeah. I would yes. love to. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing um, another workroom technique or two with our amazing local makers and um, showcase their skills. Yeah. And then for millinery info, oh, I love making this podcast. <laughs> so that's not going anywhere. Um, I, I think it's great to be for milliners to be able to share their story in their words. Um, so looking forward to quite a lineup <laughs> planned or maybe. You know, I've got the next couple of episodes planned out and I, um, I'm really excited to share their story. Yeah. Well, um, we all look forward to when they drop. <laughs> and um, Millinery Maker will be happening again in July. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that that is a gorgeous way for the global community to get together. Absolutely. It's been um, amazing to see people's engagement with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, this will be its fourth year. Amazing. And I was, I go into the hashtag and see who's been involved with it. Yeah. It's um, the month of prompts is such a boost and yeah. creates such a community. And it's so exciting to see people interacting on each other's posts. Milliners that would maybe never have seen each yeah. other's work, but through this initiative are getting to connect and interact and I was checking out the hashtag the other day. It's something like 40,000 uses of the hashtag since it began. Well, you'd be a bit proud about that, wouldn't you? It's very exciting. <laughs> so um, outside of the month, people are still using it as a way to connect with each other, yeah. and that's incredible. Yeah, it's a real movement you've started. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, Lauren, it's been a joy interviewing you. Um, I'm pinching myself that I was the one that got the opportunity to do so. I just want to say... From the day I met you, you have such a beautiful smile in your voice. Uh, you are a positive um, human being. And on behalf of all the milliners, I want to thank you for your passion and your contribution to the industry. And as a little footnote, I need to also thank Felicity Northeast, yes. who contributed some questions to today's interview. And without her, wouldn't have got me started to actually know what to ask. So thank you, Felicity. I've thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity and I can't wait for it to go to air. <sighs> me too. Thank <laughs> you so much for being my interviewee. I couldn't. It's amazing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Millinery and Probe. I know that one was a little different and it was great to be on the other side of the microphone. A special thank you to Lisa for interviewing me and the time she took to prepare the questions and for consulting with Felicity. Um, I hope you enjoyed the collection of questions they came up with. I really enjoyed sharing from a different perspective for this episode. I would like to thank our Patreon podcast sponsors of Millinery Info for their support. Hat Language. Be Unique Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, the Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, Hats by Lico, Lifted Millinery, 
and Hat Mags. You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes. That's either through your podcast app or on our website. You or your business could show your support of Millinery Info through becoming a Patreon. There are two tiers available, a podcast sponsor, which means your business or event is mentioned in our podcast, link included on the Millinery Info website and in the monthly newsletter. This starts from just $15 per month. The other option is a supporter tier, which starts from $5. It's for those who would like to quietly show their support so we can keep producing the content you see on Millinery Info. If you have any questions about becoming a Patreon, I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, you can visit www.patreon.com forward slash millineryinfo to sign up. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode soon, where I'll be back on the other side of the microphone. <laughs>